All right, well, it is good to be back with you tonight. Again, I'm just always so uh, blown away, mesmerized by the, by the intensity of, of worship in singing here, and tonight was certainly no exception. I appreciate that so much. I know that takes um, more than just feelings of fervor to bring that about. That takes a lot of time and a lot of intentional effort on the part of a lot of people. And uh, well done, well done. Thank you for that. You have made an investment uh, that I have been a, a beneficiary of just to be able to sit and be a part of that tonight, and that's, a, that's very incredible. I have so enjoyed getting the chance to be with you all for, for these few days and to spend time with your pastor and others in the church. It has been a real treat. Now tonight as I get ready to open my Bible and look into this, I have to confess to you that for the second night in a row, I'm going to preach a message to you that I had no intention of preaching when I came here. I didn't really intend to preach last night's message, but I felt like the Lord was pushing in that direction, and I said, well, Lord, this is, this is your purpose, this is not mine. I didn't come here to promote any agenda of my own, I just want to be obedient to you, and so... Uh, and I, I appreciate there was some there was some kind words after the service last night. Some some of you have said several have said that that was what you needed to hear. And so all I can say is glory to God. Uh, I hope that tonight I am not amiss in in understanding what the Lord wants us to to look into. And so tonight, as we we prepare to preach a message that I they asked me for a title and I gave it to them, refusing fear, refusing fear. As we prepare to look at that. If you would join me in one more word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, dear God, we come to you tonight. Lord, as I've said, and I mean it, Father. Uh, God, I, I cannot come to this place. This, this is ground too sacred for me to come and to, and to spend my time here sharing anything that's just on my mind or heart. But Lord, to do my level best to bring to these folks uh, what I think what I'm convicted, Lord, is, is the word of the Lord for them tonight in this place. God, I pray that you would allow that to happen. I pray, God, that you would uh, add your blessing to the preaching of your word. Help us to preach and help us to listen. In the name of Jesus, we pray it and ask. Amen, amen. Well, as I said, we're going to talk about refusing fear. Refusing fear. Fear is an element that is natural to life. Uh, it's a part of our human experience to deal with fear, sometimes intensely. Sometimes it's more like a low-grade fever that's just kind of in the background that you sometimes aren't even really aware that it's there and that it's motivating you until all of a sudden you just see it and you think, I, I see it, God, I'm, I'm operating under fear. Well, uh, we want to have the biblical and the Holy Spirit-led response to fear in our lives, and to talk about that tonight, I'd like to begin by talking about one figure from the Scripture who was called by God and given a very specific task. And I don't know that he knew ahead of time how hard his task was going to be in all the specific ways. I don't know that he realized ahead of time how much he was going to have to battle with fear, both his own and the fear of other people, in completing what God wanted him to do. But I do know this, and it makes me believe that he probably suspected that there was going to be some of that involved. I do know that Nehemiah understood that what God had called him to do was bigger than a man could do. 
The, the calling on Nehemiah's life, the grand purpose of God, was bigger than any one man. It was bigger than any, um, any one task. It was more than even one set of tasks. It was, a, it was a God-sized undertaking that Nehemiah was called uh, to run point on, but, but it was going to have to be God involved in getting it all done. He understood as you and I must understand that our experiences are not just about us. They're not just about our lives. I mean, we're not our own, are we? Aren't we bought at a price? Hasn't the blood been shed for us so that we now are not living our own lives? But it is Christ who's living in us. It is for His purposes that we get up and live and breathe every day. It is for His plans, His programs that we go about our lives here. Right? Amen. And so we also likewise have to remember that, that, that our experiences are part of a much, a much bigger story than even the 70 or 80 or 90 years that you may hope to have in this world. You've been caught up in something that is eternal. You've been caught up in something that is the grand story, not only of, of the last century, but in all the world and all of eternal history to come. Your life has been made a part of it. It's bigger than you are. And the calling of God for you in that is going to certainly be bigger uh, than, than you can do on your own. And that naturally means we're probably going to have to wrestle with some fear along the way. Well, I'll give you a quick little bit of back, background for Nehemiah and, and, and the story, the, the, the place in history that he comes to live within. You, you know, of course, this is going way back to early Sunday school lessons, you know, of course, that there's a God in heaven who looked down in the days even prior to the old covenant, then he found Abraham and he called him out and he said, now Abraham, come to a place I'm going to show you and I've chosen you to be the father of a nation which will be to me a special people. And I'm going to take you to a land that I will give to you and I'll make you the father of more descendants than a man could possibly count. And I'm going to number those that come from you like the number of the stars in the heaven or the sand by the shore of the sea. And I'm going to do all these things for you and you know the story of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and all of Jacob's sons, and you know the story of their, of their sojourn in the land of Egypt and then of their coming out of Egypt and taking them to the land of promise to give them finally and fully what God intended them to have. But God reminded them of some things along the way. And he said to them, I am making my covenant with you. Oh, that's so important. Hear that again. He said to them, I am making my covenant with you. Can I tell you that God, the God of heaven and earth, can I tell you that the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you about the one who holds the stars of the heavens in his hands? He has said to you and to me, Behold, I am making my covenant with you. And the covenant that he has made with you is far bigger than the covenant even than he made, even than he made with Israel in the Old Testament. The covenant that he has confirmed to us is the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ought to make you feel pretty special tonight. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, God said to, to them when they were going into that land, now listen, this covenant that I'm making with you, it's a two-edged covenant, and I have, I have sworn to you that I will give to you all the blessings that I have promised to you if you continue in faith and obedience to me. But the covenant was two-edged in that it also carried with it some consequences should they fail on their part. Should they fail to continue in faith? Should they walk in disobedience? 
should they become as the others in the world and not as God had called them to be. You know the story as well as I have. You've read it, and you know that it didn't take too awful long before they began to meander off into sin, and God dealt with that in, in small ways and in bigger ways and in bigger ways until finally God said, Behold, I'm, I'm calling for the, for the armies of Babylon to come and to bring my justice to you. All these people saying it'll never happen. It'll never happen. God will never do that. God will never allow these things. Well, it happened exactly as the prophet said. And I always think about poor old Jeremiah and his hard, hard role that he had to play to be the prophet saying, give it up, fellas. God's already made up his mind. He means to discipline us. He means to break our hearts over what we've been. And so they, but he said, but listen now, God has decided that what he's doing here is just going to be temporary. He's sending us into exile, but the God who scatters is more than able to gather back together again. The God who punishes is also the God who is able to heal, and God has appointed a day when he will draw his people back and gather the remnant of them and bring them back to the land. Now that brings us about almost now to the time when Nehemiah enters the story. And it's about Nehemiah that I'd like to talk mostly. You remember with me from your reading in the Old Testament that Nehemiah was a Jew. Uh, he was a Jew, but he did not live in, in the land of promise. He didn't live in Jerusalem. As far as I know, he'd never even seen Jerusalem himself. He lived over in the capital of the, of the empire of the Persians because, you see, he was an important man. He was cupbearer to the emperor of all of Persia. But being a Jew, anytime Jews came to where he was who had seen Jerusalem, he sought them out and said, tell me everything. I need to know about the city of our heritage. I need to know how it is with the city of God. I the city of God was always on his heart. It didn't matter if he'd seen it with his own eyes or not. Amen? It didn't matter if in the flesh he'd seen the the splendors, the things that he'd heard. It didn't matter if he'd seen the things that he'd heard generations before talk about. It didn't matter that he wasn't there when, when, when David comes in with the ark of God and they, and they take those steps and they stop and sacrifice and they take more and they stop and sacrifice. He'd heard those stories and it just filled his heart and it filled his spirit. He cared deeply about the kingdom and, the, and about, the, about the city of God, whether he'd seen it or not. And so every time, every time there was... There was someone who came, he said, I need to know everything. Well, some men came and they said, well, we'll tell you everything and we're not going to sugarcoat anything. It's very sad. It's very sad because you see our, our wall that surrounded our city was broken down by Nebuchadnezzar years ago and it's never been repaired, never been put back. And so the city of God, it, it, it looks like a, a, a broken vessel. And the, the, the remnant, the, the, the signs of its shame are still upon it. And, and they said, and our gates are burned with fire. And, and the marks of the Babylonian army on the place are still all too evident, even after all these years. And, and what will we do? Well, you know from there what happens. You know that, 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 that Nehemiah appears before the king of Persia. Uh, his face is very sad, which was illegal and was a capital crime in those days to appear with a sad face before the king. But the king says, Nehemiah, what in the world is the matter with you? And he tells him the news that he's heard. And the king says, well, what is it that you want? What do you want from me? And he said, I wonder if I might have a leave of absence to go and to see what might be done 
to see what a man under the call of God could do. Just wonder what could be done by a man or a woman under the call of God. There was a man that comes to my mind remembering from our own fairly recent history that there was a man who, who had a thought that just lodged in his brain. And, and he said it's, he'd read it somewhere. He said he, said he read that, that somebody wrote down once where, where they said the world has never quite seen and, and all the, or the church rather has never seen in its day uh, what God could do with one life that was absolutely devoted absolutely committed to him. Well, maybe he meant since the days of the apostles, I don't know. But, but that thought so lodged in his brain, and he said, I want to be that man. Now, I don't know if he accomplished it or not, but I do know that God did amazing things through the life of D.L. Moody as he committed himself trying to be, to be God's man in the world. Well, Nehemiah is before the king of Persia, and he says, I, 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 just, I just need some time to go see what a man under God's calling could accomplish. He didn't know yet what that would look like, but the king ended up saying to him, well, Nehemiah, then you just go, and, and if you need anything, if you need letters from me for safe passage, if you need me to provide you any building materials, well, then I'm, I'm willing to do that. And so, so God had already worked in the heart of others. Listen to what I'm saying to you now. To accomplish God's purposes, not only was God working in Nehemiah's heart, but God was even working in the heart of the king of Persia who was by no means a follower of his. You see, what that tells me is that when God calls you to do something, you'd be amazed to know what God has already gone ahead of you and done. Amen. The groundwork that God has already laid. It was never going to be all you're doing, but God says that he'll enter into it with you. Amen. And so, so Nehemiah, he goes to visit Jerusalem. I'm going to read to you in the Bible now from the book of Nehemiah in chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 11. And this is what the Bible says. Nehemiah said, So I came to, um, to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and... A few men with me, not many. He didn't, he didn't go on a parade. He didn't do anything with pomp and circumstance. He didn't need the attention of men. Now, now, now can I just say to you, if you're, going to, if you're going to be about God's business, don't be doing what you do for the attention of men. It is fickle. It may be with you one day and the next day be completely gone. Amen. So you cannot accomplish God's specific calling for your life if you're doing it for the applause or the attention of people. He said, so I and a few men with me, we rose in the night. He said, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. There would come a time when he would have to involve others, when he'd have to make that vision very clear. But here, listen to what I'm saying to you. He needed to know what the vision was very clearly himself first. Amen. And so he says, well, so I didn't tell anybody what God had put in my heart. Nor, he says, was there any animal with me except the one on which, on which I rode. I mean, I mean that Nehemiah didn't come in like some kind of conqueror on parade. Very quietly, very quietly, with no more noise than necessary, Nehemiah went about doing what God was calling him to do. There'd come a time to make more noise, but it wasn't yet. He said, and I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and 
viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or where I had or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Well, can I ask you, what was the purpose then of Nehemiah's journey that night? What was the reason for all this scrabbling and trying to climb over piles of refuse and rubbish and broken stones, and at one point they they can't even go because the wall is too broken down, so he turns up and he climbs the steep hill another way. What was he doing all that for? if not for the attention of men. Can I tell you that Nehemiah was beginning by letting the Lord cement the vision in his own heart. He was letting, listen, what he was doing is he was taking time to let God speak to him very seriously, very clearly before he opened his mouth. Now the problem that some people have, and I'm going to assume some of them may sit in this room, may not, I don't know, is that sometimes some people, they open their mouth before they know what God wants them to say, right? And you know, you're in pretty good company. I read in the Scripture, and I think Simon Peter certainly was in that camp. Simon Peter would get excited and say things before he really knew what he's been talking about. Sure, absolutely. Maybe you've been there before too. You just got all overcome with something, and you started talking, and you got about, you got about, about a minute and a half into talking and realized, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but I'm too into it to back up now. Yeah, and, and, so, and so Nehemiah didn't want to do that. He said, I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to breathe one word to anybody about anything until I know down deep in my knowing, until I have, well, what he's looking for, he's looking for conviction, amen? And he's looking for unction. We don't talk about conviction as much as we used to. We don't talk about unction hardly at all. But what Nehemiah wanted to do was he wanted to know that what he went to do forth from this point was under the leading of the Spirit of God, amen? Amen. Sometimes it is all right for you to have a burden that God wants you to do something and you just to sit down and wait and keep your eyes open and your ears open and your mouth shut until you know what it is that God is calling you to do. Amen. Amen. And so, and so Nehemiah, he just goes and he is allowing the Lord to cement the vision in his heart. So we pick it up again in verse 17. Then he said, I said to them, now comes the time to talk. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. See that again, come and let us build the wall. He he knew that it was going to have to then at some point, he was going to have to get others to see the vision. They were going to have to buy into it. He knew he couldn't do it by himself. But nor did he say, it's time for you to do it. You go on and I'm going to just sit here and kick my feet up. He said, let's do it together. Amen. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Verse 18, he says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah began to show the vision. He showed them the great need. 
it's hard to get people excited and committed to doing something unless they understand the need for it. Amen? Can I tell you, one of the things that we really have to be, we have to be, have to be good about, we have to be diligent about, we have to work hard at. And I'm going to assume if I'm talking, if I'm talking to the Saturday night crowd at Revival, I'm going to assume that I'm kind of talking to sort of, in a way, kind of an inner circle here, right? There may be a, there may be a cloud of people that are part of this church that maybe had other things to do on us. I'm not throwing stones at them, I'm just saying that's usually the way it is. And so they're, they're kind of out there. And you know, in any, in any church, in any congregation, you've got people who just kind of float around the edges and sometimes they come in, sometimes they're a part of the church. They kind of think of the church a little bit like Walmart. You know, Walmart's there when you need them to be, you know. I mean, somebody will be there, door will be open, they'll let you in, you get what you need, then you go out. And that's kind of how it is sometimes with the way people look at, at spiritual things, right? Yeah. But, but listen, now it's, it's, sometimes it's to you and me. We've got, we've got to be able to communicate to them what the need is. We've got to be able to communicate to them. Now listen, listen, you, your children and your grandchildren, you're raising in a world that is actively and passionately, aggressively trying to teach your children the best, most sure way to go into hell. Amen. You're raising your kids, you're leading your family, you're living a life in a world that is a hostile environment to spiritual truth and to the life of salvation. And we want you to know how to do better things for your family. We want you to know how to dig deep spiritually, how to build a wall around you that can hold out the enemy. Amen. And so we're going to have to do a good job of that. There may be other things that God would say to us. Well, Nehemiah showed them the need. He tested testified to them. Amen. He testified to them about the faithfulness of God. He said, can I tell you, when God started to show me the need and He started to put the call of God on my life, He also showed that He was faithful. And He'd already gone ahead of me. And He'd already planned for all these things. And can I tell you that if He was faithful yesterday, He is faithful today and He will be faithful tomorrow the faithfulness of God. There are always a lot of variables in any undertaking. And any of you ever built a house? You build a house? You buy you some plans? Somewhere in the, some, I promise you, somewhere in the building process, you or the builder or somebody had to come and say, you've got to change something. This ain't going to exactly work like this, Right? Something didn't work out just exactly the way. There's always variables. There's always things we have to adapt to, things we have to figure out that we don't know. Can I tell you that, that among those variables, you will not find it in question whether God will be faithful if you're doing what God has called you to. The faithfulness of God is never in question. Amen. The faithfulness of God can be depended on. The, the closest friends and the closest allies may prove to be untrustworthy and inconsistent. But your God will stand with you through all of that. Amen. He testified about the faithfulness of God and the people, when they understood the need and they understood the providential faithfulness of God, what did they do? They bought into the vision, not only with their words. Words are very cheap. Words, words don't cost anything to produce, and that's why there's so many of them floating around. Right? But not just, they didn't just say, let us rise up and build. It said, then they did it. Amen. Not just with their words, but with their, but with their work, they came and they set their hands to do that. Amen. Well, that's all good.
all good, but you know how it is. In any good story, there's what they call the dramatic turn. There's where the narrative changes. Imagine this, God is doing something. Do you imagine that everyone is happy about that? Of course they're not. They never will be. Verse number 19 tells us that there's an immediate response of the enemy. 19 says, but when Sanballat, and I may not be saying that right, but does anybody know how to say it? Then it's Sanballat. All right. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it. What did they do? It said they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And Jeremiah, or Nehemiah rather, it says, so I answered them and said to them in verse 20, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, listen to this, therefore we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So the enemy comes with that immediate response, and what do they do first of all? It said they despised, and then they threatened. They despised, and then they threatened. Can I tell you that when you go about doing the work God calls you to do, if you find that in the world there are those who despise and then threaten, it is by no means an indicator that you are not being obedient to God. As a matter of fact, it's probably a fair indicator that you're doing something right. Amen? Because you can always expect that, that if, you're, if you're trying to raise your children godly, if you're trying to make an impact in the life of your community, if you're trying to invest in the life of the church that you're a part of, can, can I tell you that there will be somebody who's not happy about it? There'll be somebody who's resistant to that. That's just the way it is. They despised and then they threw. They said, will you rebel against the king? Well, there was no rebellion. Was there? There was no rebellion. Who, who, who was the first person that knew anything about this other than Nehemiah? It was the king himself. Right? Will you, dis, will you rebel against the king? There was no rebellion. But they figured that they could spin the story however they needed to spin the story. And they could make people believe whatever they wanted them to believe. There was, no, there was no rebellion, but they said, well, it's just in the telling of it, isn't it? You're rebelling against the king. I, I couldn't help but notice that Nehemiah, in his response, he didn't tell them anything. He didn't, he didn't have a word to say about, well, we came with the king's blessing, so we think it's probably okay. He, what did he say there? He just said to them, the God of, him, of heaven himself will prosper. I ain't worried about the king. Because we've got the Lord God on our side. Already you see the weapon, though, that they mean to deploy. The weapon they're trying to deploy is fear. Fear is not just... Fear is not just... Fear is not just something that happens in response to a weapon of the enemy. Fear is the weapon of the enemy. Does that make sense to you tonight? Fear is powerful. Fear, fear is paralyzing. Fear brings that sickening sense of dread. You've felt that before? You've had that in your life? You say, well, I can't admit to that. That doesn't sound very manly. Being too cowardly to admit it doesn't sound very manly to me. Right? And so they, they make it clear that they mean to deploy and use to great effect the weapon of fear. But... In, in Nehemiah's response, he, he looked to the Lord and not to any man. He, he looked to the Lord and the faithfulness of God. 
He said to them, in effect, listen to this. He said, in effect, to them, we know what God will do. And so we know what we will do. I, 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 something about our brother coming up here tonight. Brother Zimza sharing his story there and the, just the, the resoluteness of a man who knows who he belongs to. Knows there's something wrong with his body but looks it in the eye and says, God's God and it's okay. If I live or if I die, blessed be the name of God. Amen. It's really hard for the devil to do a whole lot with that. It's really hard for him to find the foothold, the handhold to, 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 to wrestle with you if you've got that attitude that says, I know, I know the living God and I know that my life is caught up in the big story. I know that my life is a part of something that is stretching from one end of eternity out into the other and the days of my life here may be long or they may be short, but it just doesn't matter because he said there's no going back. Amen? Well, Nehemiah, he just says, we know what God will do, and so we know what we will do. Now, the, the enemies to the work of God, they tried to, steal in, to instill in Nehemiah a spirit of fear by threat of being lied about. Well, we'll just tell the king. Well, we tell all kinds of things, won't we? You ever been lied about? You ever had things said about you that just simply weren't true? Or maybe they were worse yet. Maybe they were about halfway true. That's the worst, isn't it? When they take something that you might have said, but to take it out of context and they twist it around. You've had that happen to you before, right? When they, when they, they take a thing and, they, and they, they cast it in the worst light possible. There are people out there who will do that to you, right? That, that happens sometimes. And it's, it's absolutely an awful feeling, isn't it? And so you see how the threat of being lied about is a powerful tool of fear, right? And if you're going to be involved in the Lord's work, that's going to happen sometime. If you're going to accept God's call on your life to be a part of His big story, it's just, it's just going to happen sometimes. There'll be people who will misrepresent you. There'll be, there'll be factions at work that will, 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 will do that kind of thing. But, but can I tell you, you can't give in to fear any more than Nehemiah could. Amen? Over in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, let me begin in verse 1. It said, but so, it so happened when... When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, when they figured out we weren't going to quit at the first moment of resistance, we didn't, we didn't just say, well, they don't like it, so I guess we better just go home. When, when he heard that, that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. Why, well, they always come in at least in pairs, don't they? And they said, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone, their stone wall. And so now we see, in, in verses 1 and 2, Sanballat tried to sow the fear of futility. The fear of futility. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much effort. It doesn't matter how much time. It doesn't matter how much sweat. Don't you know that you cannot do this thing? You can't, it won't be done. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. Amen. Have you ever felt that just spirit weighing in on you? Something that, 
I mean, you've just, you've just finally got an understanding of the scope of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I mean, sometimes I just think about it like, like raising children. My children are almost grown, and I think, man, I mean, that's, that's, that's mind-numbing to me that that's happened so quick. But then I look back on it, and not just what's behind us, but what's still ahead of us. I'm going to be their dad for the rest of my life. And they're going to need me to maybe not be the same kind of dad I was when they were little bitty, but they're going to... And it still seems like a bigger task than I'm capable of. When I think about, about being a pastor of a church, I just think, Lord, I don't understand why in the world you asked me to do this. I don't know why you... I mean, because, Lord, this is so much bigger. It takes so much more wisdom and knowledge than I have, probably than I'll ever have, right? Get to understand what it is that specifically you are involved in, that God is calling you to do. To probably have a moment where you just say, I can never, there's no way I can succeed. And you know what? You'd be 100% right if it weren't for the fact that God was in it with you. Amen? If it weren't for the fact that God had said, hey, listen, I'm calling you to something and I wouldn't call you to it if it wasn't possible. You, you remember you're not serving the God who is, is bound by what's possible and impossible. So many things are impossible with men, but all things are possible for God. Amen? And so, so these men, they come along and they try to instill in them the fear of futility. You just never, you're just going to make a fool of yourself. You'll be like that one who began to build the, to build the tower and, and, and you, you lost, you, you run out of funds in the middle and everybody laughed at you. You're not going to be able to get it done. And then it turns into laughter. And Tobiah comes along with his comment about the fox. This, this fear he's trying to instill now is the fear of derision, that people are going to mock you and, and laugh at you. There was a, there was a, uh, <laughs> there's the story of, of Paul preaching um, in Philippi. And you remember when Paul goes to Philippi, there's the little slave girl with the spirit, right? And what does she do? She goes around behind them and she says, these men are telling you the way of the Most High. These men are telling you how to be saved. Now, you think when you read that, you think, well, what's, what's wrong with that? That's free advertising. You understand? It's a mocking spirit. She was mocking them. The spirit in, in her was mocking what they were doing, was mocking what they were saying. The devil, loves, the devil loves to use derision. He loves to use the mocking spirit because there are just a few things about, about laughter like that. You see, if you're with somebody and they laugh at something, you just kind of feel like this social obligation to laugh along with them. You've ever noticed that? There's just a little pressure, a little social pressure that pushes you to laugh. So if they laugh, you feel like you have to laugh or it'd be rude not to, right? So that laughter almost becomes like yawning. It's contagious. And, and do you know what happens when you laugh at something? When you laugh at something, you automatically begin to dismiss it as irrelevant, as unimportant, as small, as feeble, right? That's why we have an aversion. We don't like to be laughed at. Because we know that when somebody's laughed at us, they've already dismissed us as unimportant. They've dismissed what we care about, what we're passionate about. They've dismissed the calling of God on us. they dismissed the purposes of God that we're trying to make our lives about. They've dismissed that as being irrelevant and important. And so there is a great fear attached to this, this mocking, this derision. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want to be, well, we call it being canceled today, don't we? They'll cancel you if you disagree with the broader, broader culture. They'll just, they'll just say you're, they'll take away any chance you have to speak. They'll, they'll deprive you of your voice in the name of tolerance. We don't like to be derided. 
And now they're trying to threaten them with, with derision. Look at verse 4. Nehemiah begins to pray. He says, Hear, O God, O our God, for we are despised. And then he says, Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah left it all in the hands of God. They came with their threats. They came with their, with their laughter. They came with their promises that it wasn't going to amount to anything. And, and There comes a time when you just can't argue with people anymore. There comes a time when you've got to just quit, quit explaining to people what, what it is you're doing. Right? Yeah. There comes a time when you say, there's just nothing left to say. You've got to think what you've got to think, and I've got to do what I've got to do. And so that's what Nehemiah does. He puts it all in the hand of God. God, God, you're going to have to judge between me and this, and this man over here. God, you're going to have to be the judge. You just, you just straighten it all out. But God, I know, I know because I know what you've said to me. I know that he's incurring the anger of God. I'm going to leave him to it. I'm going to leave him to it. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to get back to doing, to doing what, what I am called to do. I think it was... Uh, I think it was Winston Churchill, may have that altogether wrong, who said you can, never, you can never get anything done if you stop and throw rocks at every dog that barks at you. Right? And so Nehemiah, he just says, I'm going to leave it in the hands of God and go on. Verses 7 and 8, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, that's where they're getting more and more company all the time, aren't they? Lots of extra ites with them now. Uh, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed and they became very angry, and all of them conspired to come. And now, now not just with laughter and mocking, but now look at what they've done. And they conspired together to come and to attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. So now the enemy is conspiring to instill in the workers a fear for their very lives. Sometimes there can come a point when it's not just a fear of being made fun of, of being rejected, of being ostracized, of being canceled. Sometimes there can come a point of fear where you say, you say, well, God, my very life is on the line here. My very life is on the line here. I'm, I'm, my own safety, my personal safety and the safety of my family may be in, in, in question as far as, as they're concerned. But Nehemiah gave, gave those builders the right instruction. Verse 14, it says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know, that was exactly what they needed to hear. Did you know that there's a power in, in a good word in due season? Sometimes all it takes is the anointed word to give people the courage to say, you know what, fear may be a real thing, but we'll not be governed by it. We'll not be limited by it. We'll not be paralyzed by it because someone has reminded us of the faithfulness of God. 
Someone has reminded us that we're not here just because we want to do this, but we've been called of God to a thing because God is looking to His Jerusalem saying, build that wall, build it up with glory and establish it and we're doing God's business and God is going to have to take all these things in hand and He will do it. He says, do not be afraid of them. He says to them, refuse the fear. Say no to it. Sometimes that's a very willful, volitional thing. And sometimes you're going to have to reach way down deep inside yourself to have the strength to say no to fear and to say it like you mean it. Amen? Say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to fear, but I'm going to be faithful to God. Amen. Don't be afraid. Refuse the fear. And how do you, rem- how do you refuse fear? Or at least refuse its rule over you? Well, you remember the Lord great and awesome. And then, and then you fight for your tribe. What did he say there? What did he say? And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What he he was saying is fight for the tribe that you're a part of. You you, You need to know who your tribe is. You need to know who your tribe is. You have some friends out there in the world. Good, good. You're supposed to. You have some people you care about that you're close to that maybe you know through work or school and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe people you're even somehow kin to. Well, that's all right. That's all right. Remember who your tribe is and don't ever forget it. You see, you've been adopted into a family that is your tribe. You've been adopted into the family of God. Amen. You need to know who your tribe is. And remembering your God and remembering your tribe are a potent antidote to fear. And you remember who has called you and for whom you do these things. And so as they went about the work, as they went on from there, everybody was responsible for three things. Everybody was responsible for three things. And I want to just kind of talk about these and then be closing pretty soon. Number one, one of the things that Nehemiah said to them to do that they were responsible for was, was this. It's relevant to you and me. He said, first of all, guys, you just, before you do anything else, you just do this, do this thing first. Clear the rubble out from in front of your own house. Right? Some, some of you all live in where there's rubble right out, right in front, out of your front door. There's rubble right there, but, but you're not there clearing it out. You're down the street trying to find somebody with more rubble in front of their house. You're out there minding their business when you ought to be clearing the rubble out in front of your own house, right? Amen? Can, can I tell you what? There might come a time for you to be, to be doing something to help somebody get their thing straight there, but you can't do that when you got your own thing you need to be doing first. Amen? Fixing the things spiritually in front of your house. Sp- fixing the things and dealing with the things and addressing the spiritual priorities that you're supposed to be living by. You need to be getting the mote out of your eye before you're out there trying to help your brother pull the splinter out of his eye. Amen. You see what I'm saying to you? And so, and so Nehemiah lays it on him like this. Look, guys, if you see the vision and you want to see this thing prosper, you care about the city of God, you want to see it built up, begin there with what's right in front of you. What's in front of you? And you do this. Clear that rubble out from, from, from in front of your own house. And then... And then he said, and, and I also am, am, am going to give you a command that every one of you have to stay armed and ready. 
Do you know when the attack will come? He says, no, you don't know when the attack will come. You don't know where the attack will come. And so even if it's cumbersome, even if it's hard to be a builder and armed for battle at the same time, tough, just deal with it. Just deal with it. It's going to be hard, but I want you to always be ready. You don't know when the attack will come, but I want you to stay perpetually ready. I saw a little funny thing on Facebook the other day. Somebody said, I, I went to the doctor and they weighed me on the scale and they weighed way more than they thought I should. And I told them, I said, now let me tell you this armor of God's heavy stuff, right? But you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to stay armed and ready. So, so, so let, me, let me ask you, is, is there ever a time then that you, that you take off the breastplate of salvation and lay it down? I knew a man one time told me he's a Christian. I mean, and, bless his heart. He, knew, he said he's a Christian, but he told me, he said, now, but now, now, one week out of the year, I go to the beach in, in Florida, and I, I leave that behind when I go down there. I thought, I bet it's not too hard for you to take it off either, is it? I bet it ain't too much trouble at all for you. Do you, do you take off the breastplate? Do you, do, do you lay down the shield of faith? Do you lay aside the, the belt of truth? Do you, do you kick off those shoes where your feet have been shod in the preparation of the gospel? Do you, do you, do you hang the helmet of of salvation, so we're right. It's righteousness, faith, salvation. What about what about the sword of the spirit? Do, do you keep that ready all the time? Some days we have good days where we feel real ready, but some days we let ourselves wander off and say, "Well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get prayed back up before Sunday comes back around." Is the spiritual attack on your family going to come on Sunday? Or would it possibly ever come on a Thursday or a Tuesday or a Monday, right? Are you ready all the time? Are you armed and prepared, fully equipped and filled with the Holy Spirit? And don't forget, he said to them, don't forget to build what God has called us to build. Don't forget to see this thing all the way through. You got it halfway finished? Good. Now finish it. Now go on and see it the rest of the way. Don't stop along the way and say, ah, that's probably good enough. That's probably sufficient enough. It doesn't matter if it's all the way done or not. I've done enough here. I think we'll call it good. He said, let us, let us see this thing through all the way. Don't shrink God and His plan down into your life. Let Him stretch your life to fit into His big story. This building was the real work. They couldn't afford to quit the job. They could not afford to quit in the middle of what God was doing. Look at verse at Philippians, rather, over in the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. Chapter number 1 in Philippians, and what does the Bible here say? You know this verse very well. Actually, I may just back up and read from verse 3 on down. He says, he says I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. Always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I remind you of something? And you and I don't naturally see it because in our language, in the English, that second person pronoun is exactly the same whether singular or plural. 
we say you when we mean just you, and we mean you when we mean all of you. We've corrected that problem where I'm from because we say y'all. Do you say y'all here in this part of Ohio? Do you? All right. I was somewhere and they tried to work this one in on me and they said Ewan's. But then they turned around and used Ewan's when they meant just me and I couldn't figure it all out. Anyway, what I'm saying to you is here in Philippians chapter 1 when he says that to them in verse 6, when he says that he who has begun a good work in you, can I tell you it is the plural? Can I tell you he meant he has begun a good work in you together, in you the unified body. In you, the people of God, He has begun a good work in you all and He will be completing it until the day of Jesus Christ. Will you be in it with Him? Will you be committed with Him? Will you be saying, God, as long as you're moving, God, as long as you're providing, God, as long as you're still God, it doesn't matter what enemies come against us. It doesn't matter what the culture looks like. It doesn't matter how much the doomsayers say the world is coming unglued. Let it come unglued. We know whose we are and we know what He'll do. And so we know what we will do. Amen. We will be found faithful in the work of God. We'll go on preaching the gospel. We'll go on teaching our children. We'll go on bringing them out to church every time we can. Even when the world says that's somehow damaging to them and limiting to them, we're looking at what's being produced in the world and saying, we don't want our kids to turn into that. Amen. We want our families, we want our tribe to prosper under the blessing of God. Amen. And so we are committed to saying no to the fear of futility, to the fears of being lied about, to the fears of being derided and canceled. And even should they threaten our very lives, our confidence is in the Lord God. Amen. Because we're a part of a big story that was bigger than we were ever going to be just by ourselves. We're part of a big story that God is telling that stretches from the eternal to the eternal. We're part of the work of God. And how can we, how can it fail? This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Can I ask you though, is fear, every one of us has, has felt it, we've dealt with it. This isn't a time to be more to pretend to be more spiritual than we really are. We can preach on these things, but sometimes then we've got to say, now God help us to live up to our preaching. <laughs> and, so, and so what I'm saying to you is this. How, how much does fear affect you? How much time do you spend worrying how much time do you spend fretting as though you were helpless? How much time do you spend gnawing on that bone of what will tomorrow bring, knowing that your master has already seen it and made provision for it? How much does fear of what other people may say about you affect the light that you will shine for them? how much truth you will tell to them, how much love you will show to them. Right? 
one thing for us to preach these things. It's something else. We've got to live it out. There's some evidences of fear. We've talked about them somewhat already. Futility. Do you ever feel futile? Do you ever have a feeling of hopelessness? Like whatever it is that you're trying to do with your life for the Lord, it's just, it's just come to nothing. It's not going to get anywhere. There was another man, a great prophet of God. Do you remember Elijah on Mount Horeb? He'd just seen the fire fall on Carmel 20 minutes before. I mean, it was a few days before. But, but I mean, he'd just seen what God could do. But he was afraid. Fear came at the strangest moment. In the moment just following his great victory, fear came slipping in right when he would have least expected it. And so he goes down. You remember he spends that time at the brook and he's with raven's feet and all that kind of thing. And then he goes on down and makes his way back to where it all starts. Goes down to Mount Horeb. If I understand that correctly, that's also Mount Sinai where God, where God spoke with, with, with Moses all those years before. He goes back to the start of it all and... And God comes and he says, what, what, are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And, and, and Elijah says, what's the point? What's the point? It ain't working out. God, of everything you've been doing, everything you've been trying to accomplish all these years, it's all come down to nothing. I'm the only one faithful to you. You, you ever think that way? Did it ever it just lodge in your brain somewhere? Do you ever just find yourself, I'm not, I, really, I think I'm the only one that really cares. I think I'm the only one that's really serious about this. And he says, God, I'm the only one. You might as well just kill me and just forget it all. Just, just put a period at the end of the story because that's it. And God said, what did you say you're doing here, Elijah? Do, do you not know that I have thousands of faithful ones? You're a part of a bigger family you've got any concept of. You're part of something way, way, way bigger than that. Amen. Now, I tell you, there's another wonderful, beautiful part of that story that you don't really connect because it doesn't come right there in the Scripture. But there comes another moment where, where Elijah is standing on another mountain years and years and years and years later. He's standing on another mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Moses is there. And for all the other things that are happening there, I kind of wonder if while they're standing there, Jesus says, Now, Elijah, didn't I tell you that I was going to see this thing through? Didn't I tell you about a coming kingdom? And here it is. And you were a part of bringing that into being. Amen. Amen. Do you, do you ever feel feelings of futility? Can I tell you, that's a good indicator that fear, that fear is living somewhere in the shadows around you. Amen. Well, what about feelings of anger? When I meet people who are always angry, I suspect that they're more afraid than they want anybody to think. Can I, can I tell you, I, I'm suspicious about us in the church today. I'm suspicious about us because i got to tell you the truth. I think that, that when I listen to the way we talk, we sound more angry than loving. We sound like we're angry at the world. We sound like we're angry at sinners for being sinners. We're angry at the unevangelized for not knowing Jesus. We're angry at those that we never told the gospel to that they don't already believe the gospel. And it's foolish. But do you know what drives it? What's really behind the anger? Sometimes I think we're afraid. I think we're afraid. 
We're afraid of the world we live in now. We're afraid that we're losing the influence that we used to wield in the culture we're a part of. We're afraid. But let me remind you that with all the variables that there may be, there's one thing that's never a variable. And God is still God. The faithfulness of God is never in question. Amen. So you know what? We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be mad because we don't have to be afraid. But can I tell you that if you check the temperature of your own spirit and soul and you find that you're just angry a lot, can I tell you that you might find that somewhere behind that there is a spirit of fear. What about isolation? Sometimes people wall themselves off. They run into hiding. They isolate themselves. They cut themselves off from their, from their brethren. They cut themselves off from other people. They just sort of, maybe they're present in body, but spiritually they're isolated. They've gone into just lockdown mode. I don't know if you've ever been in that position before. Maybe there are several things that can drive that, but I believe fear is a big part of it. Fear can do that to you. I think sometimes trusting in, in carnal weapons. I don't know if I'm going to get any amens on this or not. But I'm reminded that my Bible tells me that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Right? Now, if your dependence is always on carnal weaponry, you can't wield the weaponry of God. And that's a pity. It's a pity. Why is that a pity? Because the rest of that verse says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of all kinds of strongholds. Amen? Well, I'd like to pull down some strongholds in my life. When I look around, I see all kinds of strongholds that the enemy has planted and built. And I think, you know what, God? It ought to just be time that goes away. Well, I want to have some weaponry that can pull that down. Don't you? Amen. Amen. But if I always resort back to what comes natural to the carnal man, the carnal-minded man, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to pull down any strongholds. And you know what I'm also going to have to face up to is the fact that it's just because I'm afraid. It's just because I'm afraid. And so I begin to lean more on the strength of my own flesh than on the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has, you know this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't possibly have a spirit of fear. That just says that God didn't give it to you. Can I tell you the thing we really need to do is walk through this world committed to this one thought? If God didn't give it to me, I don't want it. Whatever it is. If God didn't give it to me, I don't want it. Naaman the Syrian came to the house of Elisha the prophet and Elisha told him to dip seven times in the Jordan and reluctantly and after much argument, Naaman finally did that and he was healed of his leprosy and he came back to Elisha and he said, I have all these things I want to give to you as a gift. And do you know what Elisha said? He said, in effect, if God didn't give it to me, I don't want it. Take it and let your gifts be for somebody else. Amen. I don't need that. I'm just trusting in the Lord. 
What, we've, got to, we've got to walk through this world with that same heart and mind. If God doesn't give it, I don't want it. If you have a spirit of fear living in you, it does no good. It does no good to pretend to be more spiritual than we are. And we do that sometimes. We're afraid of admitting that we've, we've, we've picked up something we didn't need that didn't come from God. We, we're afraid of admitting to ourselves, certainly of admitting to anybody else, that, that you know what, we, 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 we will let something move in on us that shouldn't have, especially if it's something that is like fear. But, but can I tell you that, that, that pretending that it's not real, pretending that it's not there, if it is, is a pretty, well, I don't know how to say it other than just say it's pretty dumb, right? Some things are just dumb and you've got to call them that. And I've certainly been dumb enough to know dumb when I'm talking about that, okay? So I've, I've been dumb plenty of times. So can I just give to you an invitation tonight to make the willful, volitional decision, I'm going to refuse fear. I'm not going to let fear move me off from the calling of God on my life. I'm not going to let fear paralyze me and put me in a place where I'm stuck. I'm not going to let fear alter my temperament. Listen to what I'm saying to you now. I'm not going to let fear alter the temperament that God expects me to walk through this world reflecting the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then I'm not going to let fear come and make me show the world something else. Right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let fear move me to take up carnal weapons because then I couldn't tear down those enemy strongholds and build the walls that God wants me to build. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know about you, friend. I don't know if you've got, ever wrestled with fear. I don't know if you've ever let it do more in you. Hold, hold on, i got to back up. I just lied to you. I know that you have. I know that you have dealt with fear somewhere along the way in life. I don't know if you're dealing with it right now. Uh, can, I just, can I just ask you if you, can, if you can commit yourself to saying, well, Lord God, I'm, I need your help to be delivered of that so that I can be found faithful to God, to be found doing what I'm called to do the way I'm called to do it. That's my message for you tonight. I hope that that was of God and that it's done you at least some good.